Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hey, good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing? Doing great. Good morning, Jason. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Bill, at least for the time being. Before the show started, you said you've got another one of your famous <laughs> quizzes for me, which I notoriously do uh, pretty poorly on. So we'll we'll see how we start out this morning. Well, um, I, I always um, like to you know, to challenge people a yes. little bit to, to um, and it, I think it's helpful and it gets gets your blood going and that sort of thing. Now, now this one is a little different, I guess. Um, want to if if you can tell me the difference, if there is any difference between hospice care and palliative care. You know, they they're. Uh, well, just tell me about that. Sure. Well, uh, I do have some general knowledge about this, but if I had to sum it up, I would say that uh, basically all hospice care is usually palliative care, but not all palliative care is hospice care. Hospice care tends to deal with terminally ill uh, folks, and palliative care is usually treating uh, comfort care as opposed to treating hey, a, a disease you're right on the money i am pleased all right get an go. a today uh, at least i'm i'm making someone proud bill that's good to know <laughs> well you know um and I, I i don't think i have ever met a family uh and this would be uh including my own family that uh when hospice was appropriate that they did not believe that the hospice was a wonderful, um, fabulous um, a benefit, if you will, that very helpful for families through uh, those last uh, months when you have a loved one who's um, dying. And of course, uh, part of the um, requirement for hospice is that uh, you, that your doctor, uh, certifies that you are in your last six months of life. Uh, and typically, uh, one does not choose hospice if, um, if, if a doctor can help you improve. Um, I mean, that's just part of it. In terms of improve as it relates to um, what's causing you to die. <laughs> well, and that's important because you can be uh, in, in hospice care and, uh, for instance, uh, take a fall and break your hand or your arm, and, you, you know, you'll go to the hospital. You know, they're not just going to give you an aspirin and tell you to bear it. Uh, in, in other words, you can uh, be treated when you're on hospice. Um, uh, but the bottom line is it's, it is like you said, comfort care. So that's palliative care. But the, the real distinction, as you've pointed out, is the fact that palliative – you don't have to be dying to have uh, palliative care. And, and this is actually uh, somewhat new uh, to the healthcare system. It's not new. It's just that people don't think of it that way. But it's about quality of, of life. Um, and it, it generally has to do with a serious illness, um, 
uh, but it's about uh, making you feel better about yourself and and relieving pain and and the things uh, like that. So it's quality of life, and it's extremely important. But you don't have to be dying, and that's that's the r- real key. And it's uh, you know most people think of hospice care as as care for folks who are. Uh, seniors on their last leg, you know, those kind of things. Uh, and and that's generally true, but of course it can be true for younger folks that have horrible situations as well. But um, uh, palliative care can be at any age in terms of, of dealing with serious uh, illness. Um, so anyway, I, th- I thought that was uh, something that I wanted to bring up because I do think it's important for folks to know that it's available. Uh, and of course, um, uh, for those who are seniors, uh, Medicare does cover hospice uh, care. Uh, and of course, health insurance uh, before that, before you're a senior, before you're on Medicare, uh, takes care of hospice care and, and palliative care as well. So it's important for folks to understand what's out there. Yeah, it, it truly is. And, you know, knowing your options, and I know you've recommended in the past having an independent care manager sort of person involved with you if you've got a serious long-term illness. And, you know, stuff like that and knowing the differences between those two terms and, and worlds is, is very helpful. Uh, oh, it is. And, and you're right. I, I have recommended uh, uh, independent life care managers to families, and I do it frequently today uh, simply because I know how helpful they are. Uh, in terms of, of knowing the healthcare system, uh, knowing what is available to families, uh, and, and helping families receive that. They're also excellent advocates uh, for families, uh, for loved ones when they're in the hospital or in rehab. Um, and and it, it makes a difference in my mind to have a, a good advocate on your side. They're very reasonably priced. Uh, and uh, you know the the deal. You know the the problem that families deal with when a loved one is is uh, sick uh, and in the hospital or in rehab um, is quite frankly they've never experienced that before. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how much is enough or how much is too little in terms of of care uh, and what can help them the most in the hospital or in rehab. And having an advocate who's experienced in those things can uh, really make a difference. That's not a lawyer. That that's someone who knows that healthcare system inside and out, and and is on your side. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big key. And Bill, mm-hmm. I know you had some other topics you wanted to get. Well, to. Well, sure. You, you know, uh, those of us um, uh, realize that we're right in the throes of getting our taxes prepared. Uh, and I think it's an important discussion to have. Um, you, you know, people are just finding out at this point uh, about where they fall as it relates to the new tax act that was uh, passed a little over a year ago and, and applies to our 2018 income tax returns that are just now uh, being filed. And, of course, there was a lot of um, – um, you know, um, a talk about the fact that the new tax act um, 
was going to save people a whole lot of money, that uh, people's rates it was going to help everybody. And, of course, people are finding out now that that's really not true to any significant degree. And a lot of folks are actually on the wrong side of the equation because anytime you, you change the tax code, you, you, uh, the Congress helps people and hurts people people. I mean, there's there's just no way around that. And, and it's clear who this tax act helped. I mean, no matter how you cut it, the, the tax, the folks who really see, are seeing significant savings on their income tax returns fall into three uh, folks. Um, the one, uh, uh, w- the easiest one to say would be very high income uh, earners. Uh, those folks are, you know, the folks who were at the highest tax bracket uh, are seeing significant savings this year because that's where the biggest uh, cuts were made. Uh, and, and then there's uh, two other groups that uh, have uh, are seeing substantial uh, gains uh, or reductions in their tax returns. And that's folks who are business owners, uh, particularly small business owners, uh, have a uh, really nice um, tax deduction this year that they didn't have before. And the same tax deduction are for families who have in income-producing real estate. In other words, they own rental properties. Um, so biz- business owners, small business owners, uh, people who have income-producing uh, real estate, uh, and then very high income earners. Uh, those are the folks who are getting substantial reductions in their their taxes. The rest of us, of course, uh, really, it's you know, if you had any gain at all, it was really inconsequential. But the fact is, is that because of how deductions are done, where the really skew, the area that's skewed the most are for families that uh, in the past itemized their deductions. Because the folks who itemized deductions in the past, I would venture a guess that the majority of those families are paying more in income tax now. Um, It's simply because of the way the system changed uh, to disadvantage uh, those those families uh, and those those folks who itemize tend to be uh, middle class or upper middle class uh, families and of course uh, folks who uh, in the past uh, ha- ha- are high wage earners or high income earners uh, typically were those who itemized as well rather than now what I mean by itemize means that you were not taking the standard deduction. Uh, now the standard deduction is is going to be used by many, 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 many more families than in the past, and that uh, will skew the return significantly as well. Yeah, that's something that folks need to keep an eye out for if they haven't already seen that in their tax preparations already. Well, and, and here's the key, and this is – I know we have to take a break, but the, the real key is this – uh, there are certain things that you can do at the end of the year to help your income tax. But the truth is, is that those folks who want to see the best tax planning need to have be doing their planning right now so that they can change how they 
um, have done things in the past in order to help their income tax return next year. In other words, you're a whole lot better doing your tax planning. Uh, if you haven't done it already, you're much better off doing your tax planning now so that you can make those changes um, so that you will pay less taxes next year at this time. And so, and of course, a lot of folks are just now seeing their accountants and CPAs to help them get their taxes uh, filed on time this year. And so it'd be nice to have the discussion with the CPA on because now they've got one year under the new tax act. So what can we do in the future? That, that's the question that needs to be asked. What can we do this year to reduce our taxes next year? Yeah, not being hit with the surprise is always good, and getting ahead in planning is part of that key. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, just before the break, we were having a little discussion on tax planning and preparing for next year as uh, we're getting our, our 2018 taxes wrapped up. But there are some changes and some planning that people can put into effect that will help them for next year. Uh, no question about it. And I just wanted to mention a few things. And, and these are uh, – for those folks who've listened to the show uh, for the last you know couple years – uh, these are uh, things that I have mentioned from time to time uh, before, uh, but uh, it's always good to refresh one's memory <laughs> in terms of the things that can really help you. Um, and the first has to do with uh, charitable deductions, uh, because for those uh, folks uh, who um, made fairly nice gifts to their church or to other charities, uh, in the past, uh, for most of us, uh, who uh, w- we would get a nice itemized deduction for our charitable contributions. And for the majority of taxpayers now, uh, that deduction uh, it has gone away. In other words, we're not going to get it anymore um, because of the fact that uh, the majority of us who used to file itemized deductions are now taking the standard deduction. So, um, and if you're doing the standard deduction, you don't get to take that charitable deduction on top of it. So, are there ways to still um, skew the system, if you will, so you can uh, uh, benefit tax-wise by uh, the goodness of your contributions? And there are a few ways. So, if you are 70 and a half and you have a retirement account, as most of us do, uh, when you turn 70 and a half, you have minimum required distributions from your retirement account. Now, truthfully, those distributions early on uh, when you turn 70 are not great big distributions unless your IRA is way up there. <laughs> but uh, but the bottom line is that let's let's just say that 
uh, we make a contribution to our church each year of $2,000. Well, uh, if we have a minimum required distribution of $2,000 and we direct our custodian to uh, pay uh, directly to our church, in other words, not to pay us, but to pay the church, that that minimum required distribution, what that does for us is, and now we will get from the from the custodian, we will still get a 1099, which means they made the distribution. But the good news is, is that 1099 will have a code on it that tells the IRS that this is not includable income uh, on our tax return. So even though we get a 1099, there's a code on it that basically means we do not add that distribution to our income for our tax return. So, And that actually is stronger tax-wise than in the past where we um, – uh, might uh, get the distribution and pay income tax on it and then give a, a charitable deduction and take it under uh, likewise. Because not reporting the tax actually helps your tax return more than in the past taking a charitable deduction. So that's a good thing. Um, now, uh, so that applies to anyone who is 70 and over and making charitable contributions, uh, uh, you know, Whatever that charitable uh, intent is, you can still um, game the system a little bit by that way. Now, another way for those folks who actually own their own business uh, or real estate, you know, uh, businesses are charitable as well. And the charitable deduction for a business has not gone away. So to the degree that you used to give contributions personally uh, and you own a business, you might want to start making those charitable contributions uh, through your business. Or uh, if you uh, have real estate, you can do the same thing through uh, the return on your Schedule E for real estate and take the deduction because your business deductions or your real estate deductions have not gone away at all. They're not limited, even though many of your personal deductions are have gone away completely or they are limited in, in some way uh, or another. You know, uh, another area where uh, people are getting hit uh, were those folks uh, who had personal deductions uh, for instance, state income tax, your local property tax, um, and the like, and particularly in other states where folks not only had federal and state income tax, but they had local income tax as well. You know, those we call those SALT deductions, uh, and that's state and local tax. And so uh, when you think about your uh, real estate tax and your state income tax, those are pretty big numbers. And now that number on your personal return is limited to $10,000. So as unfair as that is, uh, it's limited. And again, that pushes many, many families uh, into the standard deduction rather than taking uh, itemized uh, deductions. Um, 
n- now there, um, uh, do we still have time to talk about a couple other things? Yeah, that we absolutely. Can do? Okay, well, and uh, I was uh, there's uh, uh, a couple other things for folks who are borderline. Uh, itemize, uh, in other words, itemizers, if you will, folks who who would have itemized uh, deductions of over twenty four thousand dollars. Because right now, for a married couple, twenty four thousand is the standard deduction. So you're not going to itemize unless you're over twenty four thousand dollars in deductions, um, and that's going to be very very few people today. Uh, so. Um, Let's say that you're right on the border. You know, you're around 22, 23, 24, 25,000, or maybe even 20,000. Um, if you can push your deductions from one year to the next, so you, in essence, you push all your deductions into one year uh, and you do it every other year. In other words, and so in essence, uh, in uh, year one, where you push them, maybe you'll have thirty or thirty-three or thousand uh, dollars of deductions that year, because you've pushed everything into that year at the end of the year and at the beginning of the year, if you will. And then the next year, because you've pushed it, you you don't have uh, you take the standard deduction the second year, and then you go back to itemizing the third year, and so every other year you're itemizing and and that can reduce your taxes that way. Uh, I was thinking on the way over, and, and I haven't looked into it, so I'll probably get a call from a CPA if you can't do this. But, you know, I like to be creative. And, of course, one of the nice things, on, you know, there are some good things on the tax act, um, uh, even though a lot of folks don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> and one is that the marriage penalty went away. So typically, a married couple, um, uh, a, a, a married couple can file separately and not be penalized for filing separately. Well, that's huge. And so I'm, I was thinking on, uh, to myself on the way over this morning, what about between a husband and a wife, uh, if they could push deductions um to one of the two so that uh, each one of, you know, maybe one spouse takes a standard deduction and the other one itemizes. Uh, Now, you'd have to set up separate accounts in order to do it because you wouldn't want your deductions, if it's going to come out of one, uh, to be um, um, uh, out of a joint account, which, and of course, most married folks pay their bills out of joint accounts. So you'd have to rearrange some things. And but under the new tax code where there's no marriage penalty, I, I don't know if there's a rule that limits a husband and wife where one can take a standard deduction and the other one can itemize. But if you could, then that would uh, certainly game the system to some degree and, and might be helpful. So it's always good to think out of the box and, and see if that's something that you uh, can possibly do. Now, th- that particular thing, I have not vetted. I have to tell you that. It's just I like to think about things that um, that can potentially work. So uh, hopefully I'll have an accountant call me 
today and say, Bill, you can't do that, or Bill, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the like. The WPTF but, uh, audience is pretty responsive, so if that is the case, I'm sure you'll hear from someone. Yeah, but I mean, those are the kind of things that you have to think about uh, in terms of the things that you can possibly do. Uh, to reduce your taxes. Now, I, I know I've probably uh, gone to the break time. Uh, and when we come back, I, I want to, to talk about some asset protection issues as it relates um, to things that affect all of us. Excellent. We'll get to that right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong. He is Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. You can also find him on Facebook. I've been very active recently on Facebook. You can look for WG Alexander and Associates, and uh, you're posting tips all the time, Bill, on Facebook. It's great to see, and you've also got a podcast as well to go along with that, the Asset Protection Today podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, uh, anywhere you find your podcasts, you can find the Asset Protection Today podcast. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that. We are reaching out in different ways to try to educate folks in terms of the things that can be really helpful to them, and of course, that's what this radio show is all about, too. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I need to go back to taxes before I go to asset protection because um, it, uh, th there is a new part of the tax code that is huge for those folks that it applies to. And, and uh, that's the reason that I've said that business owners, small business owners, and uh, folks who have income uh, producing real estate are getting a huge uh, benefit out of this tax code. So what is it? It's, it's called Section 199 a, and what it is is a 20% off-the-top reduction in your taxes for your business or real estate. Uh, that's huge. <laughs> now, it's not 20% off all your income. It's only 20% off your business income or your, um, or, or your rental real estate income. Uh, but like I said, that's huge. And it fades out, I mean, for those folks who are making a whole lot of money, and it fades out at $315,000 between three fifteen dollars and four fifteen. dollars So if you're over four fifteen, dollars you don't get the deduction. If you're under three fifteen, dollars you get the full deduction. And if you're between those two numbers, then you get a reduced reduction. Well, obviously, that gives... Uh, business owners opportunities to plan around the 199A deduction because there's so many things that you do have under your control. For instance, just just think if you um, you know are fortunate enough to have say $350,000 of income. Well, you're $35,000 over the max. So why not contribute? $35,000 more to your retirement account and and then then you're at 315 or below 
and you've maxed out your 20% deduction. So in essence, you're, it's almost a free ride into your retirement account because of that big deduction you're getting uh, on the 20%. And so in essence, what I'm getting at is business, this is a huge opportunity for business owners to maximize. Uh, so they really do need to take heed of that 199A deduction so that um, I mean, it's it's huge uh, for anybody who owns real estate or uh, has their own business. And for instance, it also might make a difference for because there are a lot of folks out there um, who have income from their own work. Uh, and if and if you're not an employee. You can create your own business so that because if uh, – like, for instance, if you're an employee, this, this thing doesn't work. But if you're a consultant, you know, an independent contractor, then you are a business owner. Even if maybe you're only making, you know, thirty or forty or $50,000 a year, but, hey, if you're making $50,000 a year and you don't have to pay income tax on 10000 of it – that's pretty sweet. <laughs> so this 199A deduction for those folks that it applies to, though you really need to get your head wrapped around to how to maximize your 199A 20% deduction. Yeah, and I know, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have all the time to get into that. But if folks would like to find out more, Bill, I know that was your, your most recent podcast, uh, Asset Protection Today podcast, was on that subject. You spent a good 10 or 15 minutes talking about that. So if you want more details and more examples about how that could benefit you, download the Asset Protection Today podcast. Well, I appreciate you referring to that. Now, um, Let's. Uh, since we've been talking about folks who have rental real estate, I, I do want to. Um, uh, I have an awful lot of folks who are what I call do-it-yourselfers. You know, folks who want to manage their property and and, and the like. And folks, you know, it's it's helpful, but it also, from an asset protection perspective. Uh, also has risks. And here's, you know, for, for instance, most folks uh, who have rental real estate are, um, you know, we, we would advise them that to put that rental real estate in a limited liability company, an LLC, sometimes a corporation, but normally an LLC, in order to give asset protection qualities, you know, it's limited liability. That's what it's all about. So that if someone sues you as it relates to your um, business or your real estate, they cannot uh, take your home away or go to go for other um, non-business assets that you've acquired over time. So it, then it becomes important to understand personal liability uh, because what I'm getting at is just because you have your real estate in an LLC does not completely and fully protect you from liability. Now, why is that? Well, it's because a lot of folks who own real estate manage it themselves. In other words, they... Uh, if something goes wrong, um, you know, they collect the rents themselves, they lease it, they decide on who the tenant's going to be, and the 
the tenant complains to the owner, uh, and the owner goes over there and, and uh, typically will um, repair things that uh, need repairing uh, and the like. Well, when you personally manage something, uh, a shrewd tenant could potentially sue the manager personally for negligence in terms of how they manage. So it's a way that, you know, lawyers can be creative in terms of lawsuits. And so this is where, and I, I've had one client uh, who owned lots of different properties, but he managed everything himself. And when he asked me about liability, I, I said, well, your LL, I mean, because I recommended LLCs to him. I said, that's huge, but it, you still have that potential personal liability as it relates to your own management of, of your real estate. And, and, and he was really disappointed that he couldn't have complete and absolute um, uh, protection. And I said, well, there is a way to get complete and absolute protection, and that's to hire a management company so that you're not involved in it. <laughs> and then there's no personal liability as it relates uh, to those uh, kind of issues. And, and so anyway, those are just th some things uh, to think about for, for uh, folks as it relates to that. And so I, I want folks to know that uh, when uh, they have um, assets in a corporation or a limited liability company, uh, but they're but they are personally involved in the management with third parties, that there is still uh, some potential uh, liability there. It's it's just like, uh, for instance, uh, lawyers and doctors and architects and others. Uh, they uh, typically are formed in corporations or professional limited liability companies, but there, because there is personal liability, each attorney or doctor or architect will have their own personal liability protection, typically called malpractice insurance for professionals, those kinds of things. But that's why they have it is because there's personal liability as well as potential liability for the company. Yeah, that's stuff that you do have to pay attention to. And if you need help with that, setting up an asset protection plan, I encourage you to get a hold of Bill. Schedule an appointment by calling 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. Or you can go online to wgalaw.com. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are having a wonderful discussion, Bill. We're uh, always on the topic of asset protection, as that is the name of the show. And, you know, we talk about the the pillars of asset protection, and one of the foundations is, is liability insurance. And I can't think of one that more people can relate to than auto insurance. Well, no question about it. Motor vehicles are, you know, important to all of us. 
you know, because there are very few of us that do not own a motor vehicle of some kind. And uh, when it comes to risk, there is no greater risk to a family than when you get into your automobile and drive, because that uh, truthfully, uh, I mean, <laughs> there are two huge risks for, for most families in terms of losing, well, I guess there are three. Uh, I'll, depending on age and, and the like, there are three biggies. All right. So what do you think? I'm just going to ask you. Here's another test, oh, Jason. Boy. What do you think the three biggest risks are to losing a uh, significant portion of your net worth? Uh, well, on the subject of auto insurance, I'll say an automobile accident. Well, no question about it. That's That would be one of the three. Okay. Right. Oh, I only got one. Um, well, I don't know, Bill. I don't know the other two. Okay. Okay. Think about you and your wife. You think oh, there's a divorce. A, ah, yes. Okay. okay. That's another one. Uh, and then think about seniors. What about there? Oh, how about long-term care? There you go. All those right. Are I the, got them. Those are the big three. Um, and, and so, um, all right. So with that in mind, let's talk about motor vehicles. All right. So, and motor vehicles are important in, in more than just uh, liability. It's you know, if you're uh, if you have a business, uh, if you manage real estate of your own, um, you, you know, uh, your motor vehicle constitutes a really nice tax deduction. <laughs> now, again, if you're an employee, then that doesn't apply to you. Um, so, business owners have a real, um, or folks who own rental real estate uh, have a huge advantage over uh, those uh, who uh, do not have their own business uh, from a tax perspective, for sure, and benefit perspective as well. Um, but uh, uh, so uh, ownership is important in a couple different ways. Now, uh, what I tell folks, and this is really important, is that uh, you have more protection if your motor vehicle, if you're married, uh, to have each motor vehicle titled in the name of the person who is the primary driver of the car. In other words, typically, uh, I mean, it's not unusual for a husband and wife to have at least two vehicles, and typically one's going to drive one vehicle and the other person's going to drive the other vehicle. Well, you have more protection if the motor vehicle is in one person's name and not both. Uh, and uh, why is that? Well, the key is this. If you're driving it, this is North Carolina now the, the these laws differ from state to state uh, but in North Carolina if you're riding in the car and your spouse is driving and this and the car is owned solely by the spouse who is driving and that spouse falls asleep and runs in a tree or whatever and you are injured by the negligence of your spouse Instead of getting a divorce, sue them. <laughs> because the fact is you can collect liability insurance from your own insurance company because you've got one company that's insuring both cars, one car in his name, one car in her name. Uh, and so if you're a passenger and uh, your spouse – 
uh, is negligent as the driver and you're injured due to your spouse's negligence, you can collect personal injuries uh, from that liability coverage uh, of your own insurance company. And that's a huge thing to know. Now, what's the difference? Because most married folks have their uh, motor vehicle in both names as co-owners. Okay? So, if uh, you're riding in the car as a passenger uh, and the vehicle is co-owned, in other words, you're a co-owner, and your spouse, again, is negligent, falls asleep, runs into the tree, and you're injured due to your spouse's negligence, in that instance, because you co-own the car, you cannot collect on your liability insurance for your personal injuries. It's really sad, but the reason is in North Carolina, there is a myth legally. Uh, it's, it's, uh, this is the law. It's not uh, – and that's it. But the myth is, is that as a co-owner, you control how your spouse drives. Now, <laughs> that's pretty funny if you think about it, but that's what the law is. And because you control how your spouse drives – then you are uh, negligent yourself if if something happens um, in the vehicle due to your spouse's negligence. So uh, that's the way the law works in North Carolina. And so having your you have additional protection from your own spouse's negligence. And just think about how many of you out there think your spouse can't drive. <laughs> my wife tells me all the time well what a terrible driver i am and i'm a good driver or at least i think i am so you know she just thinks she's a better driver and i tell her well go ahead and drive i'd rather be a passenger but you know it doesn't help a whole lot so it's like nah she you know so uh so that's important but if if you're one who insists on co-owning uh your vehicle um as a married couple then uh what i would recommend and this is normally not done i see it very rarely but and a lot of folks don't even know you can do it but when you buy your car fill out an extra form uh to have joint with right of survivorship because that can help a whole lot because then you don't have to worry about the estate uh, when a person dies. Uh, then the survivor can go and change the car title into their own name without any problem whatsoever, but only if you fill out that joint with right of survivor. Now, that it, most people do not, so it creates a problem when one spouse dies because it's co-owned. Sometimes the survivor doesn't do anything because they can still drive. They still have the car title. But it's really important to get the car title moved to the survivor's name alone. And in North Carolina, we have a, what's called a spousal year's allowance. It was changed this year to increase from thirty to $60,000. So the surviving spouse is entitled to the first $60,000 of property, and this is without opening an estate. It's, a, it's an extra thing that can be done, or it's some, for a lot of families, it's the only thing that needs to be done for a surviving spouse. 
So you basically apply to the clerk uh, without opening an estate saying that surviving spouse is entitled to the first $60,000. So if you have a vehicle that's in both names, then um, – and it's uh, either half the value is less than $60,000, which is – at least for most of us, that takes care of us without any problem. Um, then we can move the car title over without – any issue whatsoever. But for those folks who do nothing, they've created a huge problem for uh, their children upon the second death. Why? Because the car is still in both names and there's no spousal years allowance for your children. So what has to happen is in order to get the car title uh, or the car sold or the vehicle sold, they have to open two estates. They have to open one for both of, of the decedents in that case. And it's a lot of trouble and it's horrible. So your car is a huge issue when it comes uh, comes to that. Yeah, that could be very problematic if it's not handled correctly. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. We are short on time here, but I want to remind you if you want to set up an appointment with Bill, head on over to wgalaw.com. That's wgalaw.com or you can call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. We hope you'll join us again next Saturday at 11 for Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.